0: It's Mark Reardon for PNCC Speak, the language of executives, along with Michael Scully, regional president of PNC Bank. Jared Holst, founder and president of 1904 Group, joins us to discuss investment real estate. Jared, how are you? Welcome to PNCC Speak. Very good. Hope everyone's doing well. Well, tell us about yourself. Let's get started and what 1904 Group does.
1: Sure. So I'm the founder and president of 1904 Group. I'm also a partner at the law firm Reetzman Burger. Uh, I'm currently quarantined with my. My wife and two toddler sons at our home in Lafayette Square and looking forward to the end of COVID. Uh, so 1904 Group, we are a vertically integrated uh, real estate company. We source, develop and manage all of our own deals. We do this to increase our efficiency so we can produce greater returns for our investors. We've developed over 80 buildings. Uh, we currently own close to 50 uh, projects. And we try to do five to 10 developments a year with the minimal goal of a ten percent
2: cash on cash return for our investors. Jared, COVID has affected everything. How have business property investors been affected nationally and in St. Louis? So COVID has
1: opened up a, a Pandora's box of efficiencies all across uh, different types of real estate. So you know, multifamily. You know, you instead of you know having to live in an expensive area, you don't have to do it anymore because you can work from home and use Zoom. So. Multi-family vacancies, which you know typically hover around four percent nationally, are now down to eight percent. You have high-rent areas such as San Francisco and Manhattan that have literally lost, you know, four to five percent of where their normal vacancy rates are at. Um, in the hotel industry, you've got half of hotel revenues are down right now because of business travelers. Uh, companies are not you know, sending their salesmen out through, you know, uh, airplane travel. And that's severely affected that from an office standpoint. Very similar with multifamily. More people are working from home. There's no need for expensive office space. And then on the retail side of things, people are more exposed now to getting delivery of goods at home. So they don't need to go out and, you know, be exposed to COVID when you can have a
0: bag of dog food or groceries delivered to your house. Jared, where do you see the changes because we know it's going to change probably dramatically in the real estate industry over the next decade a
1: couple of the biggest changes that I see uh, number one is land and how we utilize land for uh, renewable energy so one of the things that I'm seeing right now are is farmers you know taking agriculture and putting solar uh, fields on it instead of planting you know soybeans or corn on it and they're finding that they're getting more consistent yields, and uh, you know if they can tap into the grid, it, it it gives them a better profit. You're also seeing wind power in rural areas, uh, where you know it was just farms before. Um, in the retail industry, I think that's where you're going to see one of the biggest changes. Uh, I think that artificial intelligence or AI uh, is going to track your change, track you as a customer when you come into their store, and. You know, affect the things that you buy. As you're walking around a retail store, you're gonna have coupons pop up right away for things that you've typically bought in the past. I think another thing that will change in retail is your store experience that you have. I think you're gonna see more stores move towards kind of like a bass pro shop model where you've got a lot of bells and whistles in the store that draw you to stay in the store, whether it be, you know, a Ferris wheel or a big aquarium or having restaurants within the store, those retail you know, uh, owners are gonna do whatever they can to keep you in that store and to spend money. So I think you're gonna see that change.
2: How have technology and social media changed your business?
1: So what technology has done is it's, it's given me the power of delegation. And so the, the simplest way that I can show you how delegation works and you, know, you save money on it is let's say that you make $100,000 a year, okay? If you take that down to an hourly rate, it comes out to $48 an hour. So if you pay someone to mow your lawn, you know, 20 bucks an hour instead of you having to do it, you just save 28 bucks. So you take that with respect to the tasks that, you know, we're doing in our business. So in the past, I used to handle maintenance requests over the phone. I used to have people come over to my house and sign leases. You know, I used to, uh, have tenants mail me checks, and then I would go to the bank and I would deposit them in person. Now we have our leases signed through a technology called DocuSign, where you know we fill out this lease, we sign it, then we email it to the tenant. They sign it digitally and then send it back to us, and there's no you know uh, in-person interaction there. With respect to maintenance requests, all of our maintenance requests are submitted through our property management uh, platform. We have a 24-hour maintenance call service where our tenants can literally speak with someone that's you know thousands of miles away. That person can input their maintenance request and then send it to us, you know at all times. And then the other benefit was how we process rent payments. As I stated before, we were accepting checks. Now we do everything digitally. So instead of having to wait for the checks to come in the mail, then taking them to the bank to be deposited, we get our payments in real time. Uh, another one of the things that's helped our business is, you know, uh, 90% efficiency furnaces, smart thermostats to help our tenants cut down on their utility cost, and better windows to also help with those utility costs. With respect to social media, you look at how you advertise towards your tenants. So take Instagram, for example, you can narrow down by zip code, by age, by income, the types of tenants that you would like to target for your particular apartments that you're marketing so that's one of the ways that social
0: media has changed our business as well jared i just heard about a huge development being proposed on south kings highway here in st louis what are your thoughts on developers receiving incentives on projects like this
1: so mark the development you're referring to is a 77 million dollar apartment project uh, it's going to be about 333 units and we're very bullish on that uh, part of South Kings Highway. You know, Tower Grove has taken off, Princeton Heights, you know, is another neighborhood down there. It's on their way. I'm 100% for incentives. You know, America was founded on incentives. You know, you had, you know, people come up to immigrants and say, hey, take this boat, across the ocean, you know, thousands of miles to the new world. We have a better chance, you know, for a good life. And 330 million people and 400 years later, I think the risk has paid off. What developers do is, you know, developers are the drops that start waterfalls. So you look at Walt Disney. Orlando doesn't exist without Walt Disney's vision for uh, Disney World. You look at Las Vegas. Las Vegas does not exist today without the vision that Bugsy Siegel had for developing that into a casino and, you know, hotel destination. So St. Louis needs to continue to incentivize developers to develop their projects in St. Louis. You know, St. Louis does not have oceans or mountains that will naturally draw developers to come here, so we need to get their attention. And, you know, I've I've told this to my friends a number of times, St. Louis sucks at cheerleading. We need to do a better job of promoting ourselves to get dollars to come to St. Louis. And the better we are at doing that, the more we'll prosper as a city.
2: Jared, we're seeing a lot of new developments in the Grove, Cortex, and downtown areas of St. Louis. What do you suppose is behind the momentum for these developments?
1: So one of the great attractions to Midwestern cities like St. Louis is we have higher cap rates than the coast. And so your, your cap rate is essentially your yearly return you receive on your rents. And when you look at your cap rates that you have on the coast, those are typically hovering around three to 4%. When you look at cap rates in Midwestern cities like St. Louis, they're anywhere from five to 7%. So as prices start to decline and cap rates you know, start to lower, developers and investors and bankers are more incentivized to look away from the coast and into the middle of the country, you know, to start pushing some of these developments. And I think you're seeing that right now with the billions of dollars that's going into the Grove and Cortex and downtown, people are very, very bullish on where the city is going. And I believe that they can see the pieces coming together. You know, I like to call it, you know, the drywall reveal moment. You know, one of the things I do with my investors and bankers is I'll take them through a project right more at the demo stage and I'll show them my vision. And 99% of the time they go, no, nah, I don't see it. And it isn't until I finally have the drywall up and then they go, okay, now I see it. And it's literally that way. You have a lot of other people that are far outside of St. Louis that are far ahead of where we where we need to be. And they see the potential that we have. They see all the bells and whistles that we have on the ground in terms of our cultural institutions, you know, and the jobs that we have here. That's why they're investing in St. Louis, because they believe that it has the potential to become great.
0: I bet a a fair amount of C-Speak listeners dabble in real estate. What advice do you have for part-time investors to step it up maybe to a full-time developer?
1: So the first thing that I would like to say about, you know, real estate developing is anybody can do it that has drive and that has grit. I think one of the uh, scariest things that people think about when getting into real estate developing is that, you know, I, I can't do it if I have money. And what I would like to say with respect to that is, look, I started off, you know, lower middle class, you know, growing up in St. Louis, coming back here after spending, you know, seven, seven years away from St. Louis, going to undergrad and law school. And, you know, I had hundred thousand dollars in debt. And I jumped into the game. I jumped into the deep end, and I learned how to do it. This is not a business where you know you read some books on real estate or you take some seminars, and that's going to turn you into a great developer. You know, baseball Hall of Famer Ted Williams wrote a book on hitting. Nobody became Ted Williams based on reading his book. So, if you want to get into development, you've got to jump into the deep end. You got to see if you can sing or you can swim. One of the ways for a part-time devel- you know investor to become a full-time developer. Is you have to focus on one thing and one thing only, and that's scaling. You have to buy more buildings, and as you buy more buildings, you're gonna learn all the different aspects of the deal, which is how to find you know the best deals at the lowest prices, how to get you know the best financing, both short term and long term, learning how to GC your project, learn learning how to you know do property management, and once you start to master those things, you can become bigger and bigger and bigger.
2: Jared, I know attorneys and real estate professionals depend upon networking and face-to-face meetings with their clients. Wondering, how are you adapting professionally in this environment with your clients? So one of the things that I'm doing to adapt in this environment is
1: in the past, I was going and having, you know, business dinners and, you know, going to social clubs and ball games, things of that nature to entertain and interact with clients. And I'm kind of switching the game a little bit. I, excuse me, I invite people over to my house to sit in my back patio and, you know, we'll have music out there and I usually order, you know, a Shake Shack or something like that. And we'll all sit around and we'll talk about how COVID is affecting our respective businesses and things that we can do to improve upon it and different ways that we can go about, you know, not only helping our clients, but also going out and getting new clients. And I think the more proactive approach that you take with COVID, I think the more uh, you can take advantage of a crisis instead of, you know, shying away from it. And so it's one of the things that I encourage people to do is, you know, have more face-to-face introductions. It's going to be outside. You know, it may not be as comfortable depending on the weather, but you have to have that human-to-human touch. And where you can't have that, I think it's very important to continue to post on sites like LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook about what you're doing as an attorney or what you're doing as, an, as a developer. So you can stay in touch with your clients and, you know, prospective clients to let them know that, hey, business is still moving forward. You know, we're still making profit profits. We'll get through this thing together and, you know, we'll come out better for it.
0: Jared, thanks for joining Mike and I today for another PNCC Speak. PNCC Speak, the language of executives.